Check, check. How we sounding? Not bad. I'm sitting on the floor right now because my chair has a squeak in it, and I don't want to fix it before I record this. So if I sound any different, that's why. But we'll get past that. Do you guys miss me? It's good to be missed, and it's good to have you back to the Blue Toddcast. If this is your first time, welcome. My name's Todd Bluebot, and I'm very happy to have you here or there, wherever you're at on your way. This is a fun show about motorcycles and photography and everything else in life as a journey. And I've got a fun show today with my good buddy, Scott Topher. But before I get to that, let me explain really quickly how this show works. I have a website, and on that website is a store. And if you go to that store, there'll be a lot of goods uh, that I sell that I have collaborated with different brands to bring you some quality American-made goods. Boots with Westco Boots out of Oregon, and that company is is amazing. And uh, check out the, it's an engineer boot that we designed together that I'm very proud of. <clears throat> and then Talison Denim, we have collaborated to bring you some classic denim wear uh, made here in America, in San Francisco, home of denim. And that my, my book is also for sale on there. And I'm also working on a couple t-shirts and a jersey that I hope to have out soon. So anytime you buy anything off that website, that goes right back into the show. I don't have any advertising. I don't have any um, funding otherwise. So if you like this thing, go check out what I offer on my store. You can also make a donation on PayPal. My PayPal is blue.todd at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this show and the videos that go along with it, you've watched them a few times, throw me a couple bucks. That goes a long way. Okay, now that that is done, Scott Topher, who is one of my favorite photographers out there. This is a guy that does it all. I'll warn you. He... He is full of surprises, and he even surprised me on this show. And I did this recording a while ago. Probably, this was before Justin's interview, this was before Snake's interview. We sat down because we had a minute in the morning before we were doing some location scouting for a shoot, and we recorded this interview. And so, because of that, I don't remember a lot of what we talked about, but I do remember we primarily talked about photography, which makes sense. Some bikes sprinkled in there, um, just mostly commiserating about old bikes. But Scott uh, was also a biochemist, which I did not know, in his former career. So we talk about his journey from science to art and everything in between. Scott is also a family man. He has somehow figured out how to juggle freelance life and a family, which is amazing to me. I fly without a net here, but just fucking barely. And it's really impressive to me that he can do what he does and support a family and and get by like that. It's it's a huge achievement, Scott. If you're if you ever listen to your own podcast, I have everything you dropped on me. That is still one of the most impressive things. Because you're a super dad, you're a super husband, and it's really inspiring to me. So, there's so much more. 
I could, good things I could say because he is he is a fantastic guy and I I shouldn't be surprised at all at as his ability as a photographer because he can clearly master science but also the visual aspect of photography there used to be a scientific method to photography in a way it was a chemistry based process when he and I both started and that was fun there was temperature there was measurement there was agitation these things all went into a pot and came out as a photo or print and uh, it makes sense to me how, how he could be really good at that but he's also just very good with people ultimately if you know Scott uh, and you'll probably be able to tell by our interview but outside of his just realm of, of real world intelligence he's also very emotionally intelligent which is in my opinion that's well over half of what it takes to be a good photographer if you're dealing with people is just how to read them and Scott's very good at that so <clears throat> I know this has been uh, a short little intro but I'm excited to get into it so let's do that everybody buckle up Scott Tover all right you, you comfortable yeah man cozy what do you think of my little office I like it man I was it's so funny I was like oh man this is gonna be like this is like the most relaxed I've been in a while <laughs> I know kind of had a like a run and gun day and you're you're dad so you have that every day no this was this was like mellow this yeah was, this was fun like hey let's just go explore like let's go hey I got a buddy over here oh hey let's have another friend over and let's go ride around and then yeah. oh wait we'll just fix my bike and then we'll go get pizza like, <laughs> this is a great it's day. like all the good things yeah this is the great ones yeah too bad about your bike man that was like that was a curveball but I think we got everything it's that's ridiculous it's a beautiful I, bike I'm telling you it's I'm cursed I'm and with you it's one of those like hey did you just did you just turn a camera in my direction dead <laughs> like I've crashed that bike Todd I took I, that thing <laughs> We did the Mint 400, la yeah, February of 2020, right before shutdowns and stuff. And that bike, like, I dropped it off like into a half into a ravine. Like, there's helicopter footage of me like trying to pick this bike up. They only use one shot from the helicopter on this one single track, and it's me trying to pick my bike up after I like catapulted off. Did they get the wreck though? No, oh, it's no. just me like struggling. Right. They didn't get the heroic part of me just losing it. It was just me struggling, picking just it up. Just the pathetic. Part. I have done nothing to that bike. And I did another race and I rode it every single day. Larry points his camera at it for five seconds after a year. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to run. No. Yeah, that's. It'll that's, start tomorrow for sure. That's how it works. There's a, there's a, can there's a force field that fires out the lens of a camera that cripples any of your ideas that you just had. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> did you think you were actually going to use this? Did you? <laughs> yeah. It, it's bizarre. And it's one of those things like I have to remind myself that I'm like a camera nerd. And so no one should ever view me as like actually like a motorcycle rider. Like <laughs> there's never I an opportunity. I just like, all right, there's a berm. <laughs> Larry actually wants me to go left, which for whatever reason, probably the flat track thing, like 
You got that. I'm way more comfortable going left. Yeah. No, I was like, oh, right, right. Was, no, go left. I'm like, oh, great. This is actually more comfortable for me. This is my good side. I get, yeah, this is the... <laughs> it's not my good side. It just, <laughs> it's like one notch better than both are my bad side. <laughs> and as soon as I was like, oh, okay, well, that feels good. I'll go to... Done. Well, I will say, I think he did get the shot because I was standing right behind, beside him with the iPhone. And in the frame, I can see him in place. I actually heard the shutter, and I was thinking, I was like, actually, that might return. Larry, so, Larry would be the person to only get one frame with slide film, and with slide film, and yeah. it'll turn, it'll turn out great, and it, it will be the only opportunity. <laughs> Dude, you don't cut yourself enough credit. I mean no. that, man. Like you're, you fucking, like you, you blew my mind in the car, dropping the little factoid about your life that you were a biochemist before you were a photographer how do you get from biochemistry to photography so i guess we grew up as kids like there's the things that we're told to do and the things that we're gravi that we gravitate towards right yeah. and so i probably like you took a darkroom class in high school and that yeah. was my favorite thing in the whole wide world. And I was a good student. So they let me ditch campus and just go wander around and take pictures of leaves and dusty lockers and stuff. And I loved it, but I was a good student. So I was always told like, Hey, good, great, get good grades, go to whatever college you want, succeed. And you're like, okay, like there's my fast track through life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I did that and I was like, okay, cool. Like here's, I got an A here and I got an okay school. Oh, okay. I got into, I got into college. I'm going to go be a doctor. And then I was like, Oh, I don't really want to be a doctor. Like I know a lot of doctors and while some are cool, but like I've been around enough to know the, the rough one, like the ones that are just not living the type of life I wanted. So at what point did that sink in? Oh man. Cause you um, finished with a degree in biochemistry. Yeah. So, uh, coincidentally also the trip, when I met my now wife, Carrie, uh -huh. I went to New Zealand and no um, yeah, one summer and right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From Nick. And we, uh, the year, or I guess the, the birthday before my mother had bought me a digital point and shoot and it was like a big deal because digital had just come out and it shot raw files and no one, knew it, no one knew what it was. That is a big deal. It was five megapixels. Yeah. And I took that and I started taking pictures again after having basically shelved that idea to go to college. And this was between my junior or my sophomore and junior year of college. Uh -huh. And it just opened my eyes. You know, I had that whatever transformative experience of feeling like, oh, I'm growing up and these are things I love. And these are the things I don't like about what I'm doing in my normal life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I did. <laughs> and in a not so monumental shift i decided not to be a pre-med and i went into research which which really didn't change much you know it felt like it at the time but still yeah. expensive yeah so yeah exactly <laughs> it's just still like a really or like a a very bizarre like yes you suburban white guy of course you're gonna go this this route or whatever you know yeah and so yeah it's but then you know a digital come came along like i bought a um, a DSLR when I graduated college and I was shooting bands and stuff and then working in a lab for the Navy. And, you know, I had my, my 
dead end lab tech. It's probably not dead end job if I would have stuck with it. But in my mind, it was a dead end job, like wearing a lab coat, following every rule that's written on paper. And if you don't follow that rule, you get fired. And I just can't see you. <laughs> I just trying to imagine it right now. It's so hard. But so I would do that. I would yeah. do that. Every, and I would do that every day. And then I would, you know, I would write. I had started mastering the art of writing an email and also like new a, technology. Yeah. For yeah. a press pass to go to like a hardcore show or a punk show in San Diego. And I would just send photos off and pretend like I knew what I was doing and actually got a lot of practice shooting low light with early digital, which moody, moody, yeah, very <laughs> grainy. <messy>. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, when you turn everything black and white and it was like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then I, I just kind of, you know, some things happened in life and I realized I was just didn't really like my job and I really enjoyed photographs and I was only 23. And I was like, look, I'm just going to jump off the deep end and I'm going to move to the East coast and pretend like I can have a go at being an artist for a living from where were you then in chicago i was in i was in san diego oh you're in california by now yeah, yeah well okay. so I, I yeah and i grew up out there and so i went to college in san diego and oh, okay. And, okay um but yeah i just i realized i was like too young to have everything figured out and like my idea of what i had figured out was actually boring boring is probably the right word or just unfulfilling Right. And so I knew like I, if I wanted to take photographs for a living, like I had to figure out how to make more money than a free t-shirt at a punk show. And, uh, yeah, there's very little photographic opportunity in biochemistry. It's funny. Or is there funny thing? Yeah. Uh, and for, for all the, the fellow biology nerds out there, if you were like, when you do like G, uh, the DNA banding where they like match alleles and like a gel. And it looks like, um, like a bunch of dashes. Okay. I'm going to pretend. I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. yeah. But there, if, if we all go back to our biology textbooks from, you know, junior year, senior year, high school or whatever. Yeah. But that was how they, and basically how they would do like criminology and everything, how they would match alleles and genes. They would use Polaroid six, six, seven, ISO 3000 film. No way. They had a camera on that a had microscope. A fixed, it was a, it was a camera with a fixed focal length. Like you couldn't change the focus and it was underlit mm -hmm. and you would shoot down through it and it would, it would pick it up. So we had a refrigerator in my lab full of six, six, seven film. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I had, I coincidentally had a land camera a lot of that film disappeared it was, <laughs> it was one of those like huh, weird weird and that you know digital was king so we just had a fridge of film that's funny yeah but so yeah and, and that was just it was just one of those things where i realized i hadn't really taken a crack at anything i really loved and i'd really spent so much time like doing what not what i was told to do but i did what i was good at like I was good at math and I was good at science. So I did it. Those are very rule-based yeah. games there or not games, but pursuits. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Photography probably was like a little bit of a, you know, 
breakthrough for creativity. Yeah, like and, talk about your feelings through art, like visualize your feelings and like doing like a, a critique, like putting your artwork up on a critique and thinking you were an artistic genius and realizing you were just terrible. Like that was a really fun experiment for me. That that band photography, that early band photography in the digital game was um, that really isolated a lot of the functions of the camera and taught me a lot too when you would be you know, because all of those setups had a light show assigned to them and they were always changing so you always had to be changing you know a lot of the time too unless you know through one song he's doing a set and there's like one spot right there you know it, it taught me a lot about lighting in fact shooting on a stage like that yeah absolutely and i feel like this is I got into this point where I would start, you know, like remember how red light and blue light would just like ruin people's yeah. skin with early digital. Yeah. Well, I, I photographed against me and they used a lot of white light. And I was like, Oh my God, these photos are so much better. Like it caught focus faster. It looked cleaner. Their skin didn't look like just a purple blob. And after that, I started asking, the sound and lighting tech guy at these little venues to use white lights oh wow and they were like they almost always like the bands hate that because it's really hot yeah temperature wise yeah temperature wise yeah. pre-leds yeah right? so they're really hot and i was like just give me t just give me two songs yeah and then i can get the shots that i know are going to be sharp everything's going to feel right and i know typically a band you'll know the first couple of songs that they play so if it was a band i knew i guess so i would know where the heavy spot was or yeah. when there was a transition or the bridge or a solo and so you'd know where to gravitate and so when the you opportunity could be in place you'd be in the right spot yeah and with the right light and then after that you know inevitably someone would be like turn off these white lights why do you have white lights and i'd be like oh, i'm done i'm <laughs> got it got it Later. got it cool now i'll go enjoy the show or against know. me huh that was a big one back in the yeah man early 2000s yeah they were you know i caught them at a bigger venue um and they'd already kind of blown up by this point but it was one of those where like everything was kind of tidy and i was able to get a i was able to get a press pass for a bigger show with a bigger band and a bigger venue that was laced up and it wasn't some teenage idiot like me trying to figure out how to make this look neat yeah and so it was one of those opportunities to be like oh this is how i can do this and this is how i can do that and it it, it was just like a cool experimentation to see how like real places did it because we just go to some show and sometimes you'd blast someone with a flash and it didn't matter and then other places you know like weird and like like the screamo era and there was like weird underlit things and there was lots of hair flying everywhere and <laughs> sharp edged guitars flying around and you're just like what are we doing and you, you were just thankful if you got anything that was mildly technically correct but felt good yeah you know we still had fish eyes back then and so you just try to get as close as you can without getting smashed yeah i didn't do too much of the band stuff but i had friends that were trying to make a living off of it i it, it actually it, lo it looked cool to me it really did like it it looked very exciting but there was just there was no money left in 
in that it, no yeah. no there's if you no were money. shooting pearl jam in like the late 90s that was like the last of it right that's danny yeah danny clinch exactly look up danny clinch like yeah. oh man and you know and he's friends with eddie vetter and like yeah. it's interesting that's like danny's a really specific example but i will say as a photographer getting to be like right up next to the stage or as i, I really leaned into it early on like trying to get to the green room like trying to get portraits behind like um behind the scenes before they went on or shooting from the side of the stage or who's watching from the side of the stage and shooting through people and that more documentary curtain right yeah that stuff and this is this is a weird thing but like all of a sudden i'm not in the band but you feel like you're part of the energy of that space and you feel like you're a little closer than maybe the people who paid to be there did. And I don't, that's, it's a weird feeling, but it's electric. And when you're around like a group and a band that is just so, everything's also tight and like running well together. And there's like a good vibe. It's really, it's really easy to fall into this like state where you just feel like you're in it and they know you're there too. Yeah. And so they're interacting with you when you kind of slide over because they know that the value of a photograph. They're a team. Yeah. Right. And so like, okay, all right, well, solo's coming up, slide over to the lead guitarist. Like, oh, okay. Where did where did you go from there? Um, where did you start yeah. shooting after after music? Yeah, so I moved to Boston and I shot a couple of shows in Boston. And and yeah. your your chemistry career is done now. Like, so it it wasn't done. So oh, okay. I got into art school and I, you know, took out a loan to go to art school, which was a trap. <laughs> and you heard it here. You heard it here. Art school is a trap. Yeah. Call up your buddies and ask for help first. <laughs> and, you know, and so I, uh, I had, I would go to art. I would go to school, whatever class Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I worked in a lab in Cambridge two 10 hour shifts. I mean, like I was a part-timer and I was making as much, if not more money than my full-time job wow that like helped a lot i mean like hourly wise yeah and you had so, earned it though at that point you know yeah i mean and i wasn't even doing anything i was working with robots yeah and like my <laughs> lab partner was like a huge patriots fan so he would just bail and just like get drunk <laughs> in the middle of the day and i'd just be hanging out like watching a robot run like making 20 bucks an hour it was ridiculous hanging with the robots just hanging yeah just watching them do stuff um you know watching my job go obsolete and uh yeah so i mean at that point everything was about like exploration and I never lived on the East coast. I never lived with a functioning public transit system. So like I roamed the subways and I listened to like the Kronos quartet and Clint Manzel and like all this crazy stuff. And I would turn into like a weird space cadet. That was like, your art. That was the real art school right there. Man. Oh dude. I mean, and I hung out with kids that smoked cigarettes and I rode my bike in the snow and <laughs> We would just do weird shit all day, all night. And I would hang out in the dark room until they kicked us out. And then I'd go watch hockey and eat pizza like down the street from at like Harper's Ferry, which is like an old punk venue. And then if the music was good, I'd like peek my head in and see if it was late enough where they'd let me in or, you know, just does sound it was like amazing. a good life. Right oh, dude, it was, yeah. I mean, to be like 23 years old threw everything you knew away and just bailed like just for 
a year or two of complete like self exploration, mm-hmm. exploration. After you had been through the academic system once though. Yeah. Like I did, I did the, I did all the things I was quote supposed to do. Yeah. And whether I succeeded or not, I just didn't experiment. And so that year of art school, I don't think I learned anything about photography as a technical skill, but I learned a lot about myself and my friends and collaborating and how to take criticism and how to give it. Yeah. And the language is a big part. Yeah. And that collaboration, like we, we rented out a motel room, like three of our, or two of my buddies, the guy buddies and one of our girls student buddies. And we just, we rented out a motel room in the Copley Plaza hotel, which is in boondock saints. I oh, think wow. someone gets murdered in it. Yeah. But we showed up with this duffel bag full of camera gear, three dudes and a woman and rented a motel room together. And they looked at us like we were crazy people. I'm sure. And they're like, how long do you need it? And we're like, for the night. <laughs> and they were like, well, we read okay. these by the hours, sir. Yeah. It so. was a very bizarre, you know, but then all we did, we set up colored flashes and we tried to be like Gregory Crudson and like get spill and make the TV glow blue and different clothes. And, you know, we were, <laughs> we were being art students, we're like drinking and being creative and just throwing ideas all over the place. And then we all ended up passing out in this nasty hotel room with all of our gear everywhere. And then woke up and had to like jam to class. You should have started your own art school where you (laughs) teach people exactly how to do that. Just, just, (laughs) Hey, just be weird. Be open to doing everything. Like say yes to your friends and your friends will say yes to you and just go for it. Like do, do cool shit. Have fun. Do you still have those images? Like, do you, oh, dude, do you I ever go sure. back and revisit those? Dude, I use those as promos when I moved to Portland and try to get jobs from Wyden and Kennedy. And it's just like this bright flash of like a girl's leg, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it was accidental. It's, it's like actually totally just went up. worthless. And I mean, I printed, I must've printed like a thousand postcards and sent those out to people. Oh, I was like, no wonder I'd, <laughs> I never made it. <laughs> like, I have. I have so many of those things. When I, you know, when I'm, I've moved to a couple of different cities by now. So like a lot of that didn't make the cut. Cause I was like, I can't believe this used to be something I was proud of garbage. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, it did exist for a while. And I, I clung to that. Like I, it was, it was more the memory of having gone through it than the, the pride I had in what I did. It was just such a good time. No, absolutely. And that's, it's funny because we're in the middle of this crazy move, right? Yeah. And I can't move like this one bin without like peeking in it. And mm-hmm. Like, is all my stuff still in there? You know, like photos of the subway. And this is like, you know, post 9-11. Oh, yeah. Dude, I got every time, you know, whatever. I'm just like an emo kid, the emo art kid <laughs> wearing all black, wandering around the subway taking pictures of the trains. And so I got sat down by like Boston PD or it was like the, the T police 
like the did, transit system did place you take like multiple times. <laughs> no, and I had like a permit from the city, like I, you know, following, like I followed the rules. I yeah, went and got a permit to be a photographer, yeah, which is the most bizarre thing in the world. But I did that, and I still got like sat down and like detained by the police. And it's just like all those funny memories of like I used, stuff that I never would have done. I, I used to take done. my camera everywhere. It was like a rule I had if I was leaving the house, I had to bring my camera. And in that day, I was shooting on an AE-1. Big Canon film Perfect. camera, like all up in your face. Just mm-hmm. had it with me everywhere. And I would just, like, if I felt myself, like, not being creative, I would just pull that thing out in the grocery store and just, like, take a picture of the aisle or something stupid like that. Hey, man. But I was... Gursky, I like, mean, I was... the whole thing. I was just so desperate to be a creative at that point. I didn't know what I was doing, but damn, was it a good time. Coincidentally, you're moving back to the place where all that started for me. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> you're going back to Mecca. It's... What a trip, right? I don't know if we tell people where that's at. Maybe we just say like it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, we're having. Yeah, it's in the middle. In the I middle. love that you call it the middle. Yeah, it makes me. Yeah, that's better. It's more intriguing. Well, and ultimately, it's super funny too because of like that musical connection. Yeah, it's it's super funny. But I I've had this. I've gotten so many weird like tonal messages from like friends and family who've never been to this place nor bother to even can you know think about it and i'm just gonna like we're just gonna find this cool place to live and i'm gonna take a picture of it and i say we moved and i guarantee you there's gonna be people like that's so cool where'd you move blah 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 did you move xyz i'm like no just the middle the middle yeah yeah don't bother it's fine well it's it's gone on and it really hasn't changed that much since I've been there going back because um, it's the flyover place. People just jump right over it uh, most of the time and it's actually a little oasis that has insulated itself well enough that, I mean, I hate to compare it to something because I know there's a negative kind of bias or uh, impression to Mayberry, calling something Mayberry, but it's it's very much mayberry but with like a more creative liberal kind of standing with the community yeah it's you're gonna thrive there man we're excited i mean i'm excited for you when you think about towns that are like driven by art you know like i would love i love the idea of living somewhere and going back to this idea of like hey like i can I, we, my family, the people we know, like we can create art and it can be, you know, accepted and it doesn't always have to be commercially viable because you know this, like as freelancers, it's, it's sometimes hard. Like the hustle is as such that it's almost hard to justify non-commercially viable projects that you want to give yourself to. Right. Because if you're giving yourself to this weird out of left field book project. It's hard to potentially pay the bills next month. Yeah. And while that project might be valuable long term, it doesn't help you when like the water bills do. No. So you end up in these weird situations where you have to hustle. Like we got to hustle. You got to get those, you got to work. You got to network. You got to meet people. You got to write those emails. You got to proofread your email to make sure that you're being 
professional and pleasant or whatever when I should just respond to everything like it's non-negotiable. I learned that. Yeah. Dean. I'm still learning that. Yeah, Dean. Yeah. Thanks, Dean. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Yeah, just Dean by, should be your agent. I've already told him that. He should be he should be Oliver. You, me, Larry, all Michael, like all the motorcycle photographers. He should just start an agency and represent us. He would sound super legit too because he's kind of like he one, he's got an accent. That that helps. <laughs> that does helps help a lot. And he's got like I take no shit. Very confident. Vibe. Very confident, non-negotiable. Fast talker. Yeah, he's almost too fast. He's got it. Yeah. He's like, if you weren't paying attention, you missed it. And you better just say yes. Yes. That's Dean. And he's worked in publishing for years. Oh, yeah. And he gets the score. Yeah. And he's done it like tight crew in the family. Like everything he's always done. Yeah. You know? You're actually wearing a dice hat right now. So I feel like you're already represented. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when they side note on the hat it's that the ample creative collab that they did and i'm like one of those people that like sees something on the internet and i'm like oh i'll buy that one day like i'm just not like a click and buy person right so i've seen this thing for like years and finally we're going out to meet in nashville i'm like hey dude can do you have any of those dice like dice graphics hats and he's like yeah of course i'll bring you one i'm like thanks that was worth the wait you oh, play, so you played that way. right. You played that right. It was just right. one of those like, hey man, like I was just super meek. Like I hate, like I hate asking for favors, and I like tried to throw money at him for the hat. He's like, no man, like <laughs> it's just a hat. Like he's we're like, I together, actually like, have a box out. of these in my garage. I'm trying to get rid of them. Yeah, Would you like them. Like just don't <laughs> like don't be an idiot. I'm like, it's really hard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're asking, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was God. He would have. He would have lost it today with the triumph. Oh, I don't know. I feel like he's so laid back. He'd just be like, it "Is what it is, mate." No, it's not even that. He would have been. He wouldn't have been bummed. Yeah. He would have looked at me. Oh, he because would've... I have yeah. told this man. I was like, "You got to have a triumph." Yeah. Best bike I've ever had. I've literally dropped it off a cliff. I've flipped it upside down. I've filled it with sand. <laughs> I have picked it up and I've started it, and it ran for a year. It's ran for a year solid. I've done nothing but change the oil and put gas in it and you know and then he's like no man i don't like english people and i don't like english english bikes <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like oh okay but then today if he had been there he's more american than us, all of us yeah yeah he he would have he would have just looked at me and be like i told you mate yeah that's true why did you even bother bringing that out here just that that <laughs> dry English dig oh, he could have. But it would have been so brotherly too because he would have just been like, oh, I guess that's done. Maybe Let's go it, get dinner. Maybe it's dice that is your curse. Because you, you've ridden that bike fine for years. It's just if it's going in a dice magazine. No, it's, it's, the, it's, camera. Like a, it's the camera. It's the camera. It's the camera. It's the camera every time. I've only ever, I've taken a photo of it one time by myself and it ran fine. Yeah. There was someone else's camera pointed at it and it's dead. It's gone. Yeah. It's probably leaking gas in the van too. It doesn't even need to be a motorcycle. It just, whatever your intention is with this camera is immediately when you turn it on, the universe has other plans. Yeah, it's the uncertainty principle, man. Yeah. Do you want to go, you want to go? Yeah. For actually tell me about the uncertainty principle. And, this, and I could be totally botching this and, and forgive me. Nerds. Now this is not chemistry. Would this be physics? I think it's, 
I think it's just more, I think it's a little more heady than that. Metaphysics. I think it's a bit metaphysics okay. and it applies to everything. It's like an umbrella. Go on. Where it's like, you can't actually study anything uh, because the moment you turn it, your attention to it, you've changed it. Just by giving it the attention, you've changed its nature already. Exactly. So if you would think about like, if you know, for example, it could go something really simple, like simple, like a microscope. Like if you turn light onto a plant cell in a microscope, something that banal and simple. Yeah. You've added light to the equation. And now the plant cell is using that light to do photosynthesis. And you've changed so it. As soon as you've, as soon as you begin to examine it, you've turned energy toward it and now it's changed. But like, if, if you kind of step back and go heady about it, like the moment we're like, Hey, triumph mm. operate. It's like, no, yeah. You know, the, the game has changed. I am now the arbiter of this. <laughs> like the face you give something is the face it becomes. I feel like sometimes, you know, if you, it's, it's, I, you know, I don't, I don't entirely believe that, but, my wife always accuses me of sap, like my own self-sabotage, you know, when I'm looking at things. But my mind goes through worst case scenarios very quickly. It's very good at calculating the potential, like most devastating pile up that could happen. And I feel like I avoid it, like because I can acknowledge what could happen. I've avoided thousands of these but sometimes you calculate it and you can't avoid it and it fucking happens. And, and then you go, you. I told you so. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll also blame it on the fact that. So today, Larry is going to take a picture of me riding a, my triumph in the dirt with you, Todd, there. So two of my like best friends. Photographers. And, and like really strong really influential upon me photographers <laughs> riding in your todd's neighborhood <laughs> riding in the dirt which you are far better at doing than me and with larry who's basically a pro motocrosser yeah like, hey scott hit this berm and i was just the whole way down there i'm like this is gonna end badly because one i suck at riding i never actually I don't think that's true. I one never, bit. I never thought the motorcycle would give out. Right. I actually thought I was like, oh man, I don't have a front fender. I'm going to get a rock in the teeth or I'm just going to blow this berm and I'm going to break my leg and just run right into that Joshua just, tree. Oh, yeah. I'm going to yeah. run into that really spiky thing yeah. or I'm going to just do something stupid. All never possibilities. Once that I thought I would just lose spark. Right. Like never. Like, well, <laughs> I then just, let I, was, me, I thought I was the limiting factor the entire time. Like, let me, let me twist that a little bit. If I may, you went a hundred percent today because when the bike was running, you nailed that berm and maybe the, <laughs> one shot maybe the rest of us were a hundred percent too. And we got that shot. We don't know. One of those, one of those things where, you know, a digital photographer would have held down the button. You're like, cool, man, we got six or seven frames. It's fine. Yeah. And Larry's like, no, I shot one frame of slide film with my 35 millimeter click. Yeah. That's no it. autofocus <laughs> shooting on a Nikon F3. Yeah. Um, no, that will be a real test. Uh, 
when it comes out. Also, this will actually just be a test of Larry's photographic skills. We'll just be. make it actually a thing about Larry. It won't be about how shitty I was. Yeah, just the backstory. That's a beautiful story. And those uh, are the ones those, that peek behind the curtain. There's the one thing. There's a shot of the bike. But I've said this. I say this all the time. It's everything else that is the cool side of of motorcycles or the story that went into that um yeah so you went through that berm one time larry had one shot and if we got it we know we've come a long way (laughs) like yeah okay you know what i mean sure so i'm really excited and and when people listen to this and see that issue of dice and, and here's the other thing to think about you can only print one you, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? You've already got a select. You've it's won. It's just one, dude. I hope I didn't screw it up. Uh, I gonna... really wish I would have gotten it running again. That would have made me feel a little bit more heroic. It looked really like good. you were having a lot of fun. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it uh, did look like I'm it. glad I actually got to get to the berm once because if I turned it on and it was apparently on a stopwatch like or a time bomb, I'm glad I at least got one run at it. There was a split second there where I was like, oh, man, I got to get a British bike. So thank you. For, for showing me well, that you might you might end up with one I'm yeah moving, I'm moving to the middle I need somewhere to store one I need someone to, to keep this keep it alive because it might be a little harder to find uh every Sunday I kick every bike over every Sunday oh yeah to keep them going you get, yeah, keep your knee workout yeah it's leg day mm-hmm. it's my right leg day <laughs> and um it's save the batteries day too. that's smart yeah so you I'm when from going uh, from the East Coast art school to getting into bikes. How did, how did that unfold? Uh, yeah, so a little bit of time passed in between then. I dropped out of art school, as as people do. So yeah. I graduated college and dropped out of art school. So I'm probably both, a smart move. I'm both, yeah, I'm yeah. a college graduate and an art school dropout. So I'm like, I'm checking all the boxes. Let me, yeah, you really <laughs> are. Paradigm, you really yeah. do everything you're supposed to do. Um, let me ask you this. And I want to come back to that, but would you go back to working in chemistry in the sciences? Um, you know, considering like coronavirus. All... <laughs> yeah. Chance. Side note, that was my old job. <laughs> yeah. And um, no, it, science still intrigues me, and I like learning about science. And I love when my my eldest son, actually, both my kids. My, my eldest Levi is like a reader and he's always telling me about scientific things. That's and exciting. I'm really, yeah, I get really excited about it. And my youngest is like an alchemist. He'll just grab all the flour out of the cabinet and decide <laughs> to dump it in the kitchen or the living room rug and then pour food coloring all over it. And yeah. I'm like, wow, buddy, that's super interesting. Can you Sounds do that? like an backyard? anarchist alchemist. <laughs> yeah, he's, in yeah. the, he's like the most, it's the most intriguing, annoying thing I've ever seen. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. He just pulled up a chair, grabbed a bunch of ingredients, and made a made a giant mess, which is really cool if he had done it in the backyard. You yeah. know, but in on the living room rug was kind of a bummer. He thought this needs some color. Here's some pretty color. Yeah. Yeah. I came home and there was just colors everywhere. I was like, Oh wow, what'd you guys do? And Car- my wife Carrie just looked at me like, Yep, he made an experiment. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and um so anyways, to answer your question to work full time in science, I don't know. Like I got out of it at a lower level. Yeah. So like, I don't, I'm sure actually the technology is like far beyond my resume. Mm. I would, for a long time, I got like headhunter emails. They're like, oh, hey, we have a job in your location. Would you like to apply? 
I still get that. That was like 15 years ago. I'm like, it's kind of reassuring though. Like, oh, yeah. It's just like, I'm still on some spam email yeah. list. Like, Hey, by the way, do you like science? <laughs> we got a job for you. Um, I don't think I, I don't know if I could, yeah. you know, I've debated, we've talked about this, like going in house and like what that looks like. I'm like, man, I don't know. Yeah. Like the world is my boss, but I don't know if I could just have just one boss. Yeah. It's hard. It freak me out. It's hard when you know the difference. Yeah. Cause yeah, I came just... from there. I never, I never flew without a net. I went straight from graduating college to an in-house position and that was great. I almost spent 10 years there, but I was watching you guys could shoot a variety of things, work with so many different people and um, also incorporate your passions into it. And I got to do that with, with the snow sports and everything too, but, but it, it was different. It was like, I was strangled by the branding that I had signed on to do. And it, you guys got to jump around and it looked very free from my perspective. Yeah. It's a grass is always greener scenario. Yeah, Cause I'm like, sure well, you is. came, you had the security and you got to like help a brand shape over multiple years where it's yeah. like, I might've gotten to shoot like a campaign and, you know, might've made some cool money out of it. And then I get to go shoot something totally different. But then the next year, you see your old client make a campaign move. You're like, Oh, that's, that's lame. I wish I could have pitched in on that one and kept you from doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's not my job. Like my job's to like visually hit the button or whatever. You're, so, you know, no, you just push the button. Just push the button. Just I'll, do, the I'll button. handle the creative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually it's on a timer. Right. So, yeah. So. Can you step away from the camera and just hit the timer? Yeah. It's on, <laughs> 10 seconds it'll take your picture please photographer step away from the camera yeah we have a guy with a space bar over here tethered to this computer and he'll hit the space bar right. for you yeah right? you don't we don't need you anymore. what is this technology <laughs> these are the robots that replaced you they're now yeah, yeah, yeah you know just a uh yeah it's just a it's just computer in a studio now it's crazy so sorry i just went off on a tangent there but it was funny, no, it was good. funny it was fun. to me you did the freelance thing in on the east coast before you moved to California? Um, no, I mean, I just, I just assisted. Like I, I kind of, who'd you assist for anybody? Yeah, I couldn't even, oh, actually I take that back. I assisted for Tanit Sakakini, mm. who, this is funny, like actually thinking about our film conversations, she was a director at heart and had really incredible lighting assistance. Yeah. And I just filled parking meters and moved, uh, speedatron packs around mm. and you know i was just i was just there to like be a gopher and i remember seeing the photos come out and be like whoa you just made a movie out of like a spring fashion campaign yeah and it was really cool and I, of all the people i assisted i don't keep in touch with her often but i'll still send her a cold email and be like do you even remember who i am because you were like a huge inspiration to me and now she's like a farmer in vermont that's amazing yeah it's just really you know, it's funny to keep in touch with people and see where they went and what they did. Cause I think she came out to LA and directed some films and stuff like that. And then just kind of took a different path, you know, just interesting. Good for her. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. She was, I mean, just visionary about stuff and yeah, you know, I, I assisted for her and I assisted for like a couple of my friends and like their projects. And we all kind of did that for each other. That's good. That's a, when, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, and then when we, when I dropped out, you know, um, I had 
a couple of connections and leaving there. And we, my, my girlfriend at the time, Carrie, who's now my wife, we moved to Portland in which case I'd try to do the same thing, just assisting and trying to get an opportunity to shoot for somebody. And, you know, I was folding sweaters for one studio and then I would go shoot at Nike and get told I can't wear vans. And, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> so weird. you're fired. You're fired. Wait a minute. Leave. And, uh, and then, you know, try and try and build a portfolio. And I ended up, you know, like shooting appetizers for the Portland Mercury for 40 bucks and a meatball, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, ultimately was fun. And I did some, like, I'd never done this before, like shooting model tests. Oh yeah. Which, you know, you're just going to team up with an agent and learn. And God, that's like the weirdest thing to put myself into. Cause I didn't, I was like shooting the subway, you know, and that's intimate when you're, two strangers like with no chaperone like yeah and like are you okay with the, this the agent like his name's johnny and he's important he's like probably the best one of the best human beings i've ever met in this process and he uh he came and he was like coaching her coaching oh me. that's awesome yeah it was a really yeah. cool like collaborative it was like port it was portland before it got kind of crazy where yeah. there was only a handful of people really doing it and if you were coming up like let's all come up together you know you got these you know, these models that are whatever in their teenage years who are just trying to figure out what they're trying to do. You got photographers and never, you know, we're all trying to just figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and then the agents, they're like, what do you need? Like, what do you need for this comp card? Like, you know, so that was fun. We did a lot of that for that year. Yeah, that would be fun. Then the economy tanked and I was like loading trucks for free to lay. And they were like, Oh yeah, yeah, man. Sorry, there's should have kept that no meatball work. job, man. I, know, right? I could totally eat. be working off that meatball. Um, yeah. Thank, yeah. I think the Mercury paid me forty bucks a month. <laughs> so, Dude, I've been thinking about that more recently because my wife is starting a um, like a baked goods business, and she's shooting all. It's great. She's shooting all her own photography on film. Yeah, but I'm looking at that. I'm like, hmm. If I've been overlooking something this entire time, like what's a food photographer make and what's, do they have an agency? Is there like, there's gotta be food agency. I'm looking up and it's like, they actually make pretty damn good money and pay pretty well on those shoots. And you don't deal with any people in front of the camera very very no, rarely not, but, do you. But then you have to deal with like food stylists and then that's like the thing the stylists make a, like, a lot of money yeah and they're yeah. like shining up like a rack of lamb or whatever yeah. you're like dude this is really weird they're like shooting it with glue and you're like why are you throwing and it looks right right you're like, well and that's huh. like that glue so, really looks like strawberries how'd that work that studio i worked for in portland on like one side of the studio we were photographing like wool sweater catalogs yeah and then on the other side of the studio, they were doing food. Yeah. So they had like a full kitchen on one side and then like people photoshopping sweaters on the other side. And I was like, man, what are, but that was, that was like Portland in the late, what do you call them? 2000 or aughts. Yeah. Where aughts. like you had to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I rented space in a studio in Seattle. That was, it was often like that too. Yeah. It was kind of cool. I mean, yeah, it, was it was just fun just to see everybody doing stuff. And like, that was, I mean, that was Southeast when it was you know like the waterfront was just those old loft buildings were just full of 
artists and creatives. Yeah, and that was a, that was awesome. It was a few hundred bucks a month. Like I, I, I assisted for a, an architectural photographer, and I was just like, wow. And his his wife was a wedding photographer, mm. and they just had this rad studio over like right up against like Water Street or whatever, like right up at the river. And I bet you, I don't even know if that building's still there, but probably. Who did you assist it. for in Portland when you were there? Is it is anybody that's still there shooting? Lincoln Barber, who's he's the architectural guy. Uh-huh. And I know he was like involved with like ASMP and he was like really involved in that world. I'm trying to think. Anthony Georges, who I think went I think he went in house and now he's more of like a creative producer. And because Portland had some talent, Mark Hopper, Mark Hooper, he was like an, like an OG kind of like, God, what would you call like photo illustrative things where he'd build stuff and do that guy as I think the only time I've ever been yelled at on set. Oh, really? Yeah. He ran into his own tripod and then blame me for it. No. Yeah. Yeah. Or like one of those, yeah. it was one of those giant roller ones with a boom arm. Oh shit. And he yeah. Just, yeah. He just bonked his head and was like screaming at me. And I was like, dude, this is like $125. Like I don't need to be yelled at. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm an adult just man. Cause <laughs> like, can we please leave? That behavior is such a turnoff in this industry. And I see it happen enough times where I'm, I'm just embarrassed by it now. Oh, sure. I just couldn't do that to anybody. Oh, it's weird. I, I've lost my cool on set. I think just once. I have such a I hard know, I, time imagining now. They must have really it was a, pushed your button. Something just became a dangerous situation, oh, yeah. and it almost caused like bodily harm to me and and my guys. And yeah. it was it was a miscommunication that spiraled, and it just got it just we had a sketchy moment. Yeah, and I just kind of you know it was one of those times on set where. You just felt like something wasn't being kept track of, mm-hmm. and Adrenaline you know, me and my buddies almost got hurt. And I remember I, I kind of like shouted, and then my first assistant, best friend, right hand man, savior, like threw me a can of Coca Cola and said, "Hey man, you need a timeout." And I was like, "Yeah, please." <laughs> and we were, we were actually photo. We were like our base camp was at Sycamore State Beach. So I literally just went, I just walked away from set and like sat my butt in the sand and drank a Coke yeah. and like watched yeah. the beach. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll be better in a minute. And take, someone came over to check. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, it's like those motorcycle shoots where you have a 400 shot shot list and 10 hours <sighs> with no overtime, but you're going to shoot 14 hours. And one of those. Yeah. Where, what do we owe? Oh, yeah. 200 more shots. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Well, all right. so yeah. it's one of those. We're just running all day and there's cops and there's closures and there's this and that. And then do it. And, Oh man, there's cookies, but they're all gone. You know, like one of those weird. <laughs> you don't have time. You don't have time to take a break. Snap the twig. One of those. Argh. And then there was just this one moment. And I just, dude, I just lost it. I just like walked. Yeah. I was like, you know, I. It's nice to really, know. Yeah, I don't think I really yelled I, at I w- anybody. I would I bet like, everybody on set probably was like, "Did he just yell?" Or was that like, like yeah, a loud like a pressure. talk? It was like a yeah, it was like a kettle going off. Like, yeah. did someone hear that? Like, yeah, oh, no, he's, fine. he's just over there. Uh, oh, that's Jesse, funny. If Jesse hears this, he'll probably be like, "No, but remember that other time?" And I'll be like, "No, I don't." Humphreys is still there, doing his thing. I think. Oh he's yeah, still, he's still he's still Humphreys is up there. I mean, Ray Gordon's up there. He's yeah, still, Ray Gordon. Ray Gordon's still working. You know, yeah. but he's now he 
he's a commercial director and he's he still shoots for stills him. but yeah i mean he got into the directing game and he's you know raised raised like i don't know <laughs> i hate to say that raised like one of my best friends and like the guy i wish my dad was but i probably i don't know if like <laughs> Go on. No, but like I can look to like Ray for advice, but when I come to him for advice, I don't expect advice. I expect to like drop into this really great, like I hate the term bro down, but it's totally like a hey dude, let's just vent together. Yeah. Commiserate. Let it out. Let's, let's just commiserate. Yeah. And the, like, Ray, have you, has this ever happened to you? Fuck. Yeah. Scott. Oh God. All right, let's get into it. And then yeah. we'll just go. And then I'll come, I'll like come out of that phone conversation and be like, all right, what's next? You know what I mean? Like I'm ready it's, to take on the day. Cause Ray and I just had it out. It's good to have a guy like that. Oh, he's such a good dude. And yeah, he's, yeah, he's just, he's the best. You know he's who my, my, my commiserator has been over the years? Who? Is Michael Schmidt, and oh. it's hilarious. God, I wish I had more of that man in my life. He's Ugh. just such a mystery. I haven't, he's speaking of the mystery, he's a mystery now. I haven't seen him in so long, but man, he's funny to talk to about the film industry because he has lived so many different lives. Yeah, he's film, done I mean, it all. Photo, yeah, he, he has. And speaking of like, okay, I'm really impressed with my photo moto friends who dropped the little information like, yeah, I was a biochemist before this. And then <laughs> Michael Schmidt was a fucking architect before he started shooting architecture and then just became a photographer. And know. just like one of the, like it's, I know he's like, he's on like a new path, right? Yeah. But like, I'm, I feel really lucky to have seen some of his, work that he just like he just cut that dude loose and just let him do his thing and man that stuff was cool yeah such a great photographer and whether he whether he decides he still loves photography or he does it now and then or whatever however he does it it's just going to be better than so much of everything else we see yeah you know like it doesn't matter that dude holds a camera design he's got it he like, will he just, not compromise no it's so he good. will not compromise it is to him whatever it is that he is shooting he will find he will find his view of it yeah and it will be better than everyone else yeah non-negotiable he doesn't yeah he doesn't compromise like his his vision on things and i know it's just like heady artistic like ooh, you photographers and you're fucking terms and shit but like he's just got yeah he's just got that weird thing and if you've ever seen it and like really thought about some of his shots like damn how did you see that or i wouldn't i wouldn't have seen it that way and yours is so much better than mine damn he's just good he once showed me this photo that he took film photo you know uh i don't remember what camera he's shooting on a on nikon and we were talking about this was a one of the earlier days of born free and i asked him it's like i didn't see you he's like yeah i was there man I was there. i'm like well we're, you know he's like yeah i shot one photo while i was there it's like yeah just one yeah that's all i needed it's exactly how he said it and yeah. they showed it to me it was like one of the greatest photos <laughs> of course just this moment and i forget who's in it. i think it was max like sitting on one of his show bikes all these people around and he's reaching out to give someone like a handshake or something it was just 
a beautiful, beautiful timing, beautifully composed, something you could never, never replicate, you, you know, in its authenticity. And I was like, yeah, that's the one photo I shot. And you're like, cool, man, you won it. I shot like yeah. 700 and I just totally, yeah. just totally <laughs> yeah. blew it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when I think about like the photographers whose prints I have and like, you know, we were talking about this earlier where like, yeah, we have lots of other people's artwork, but I have a print. I have one of Michael's prints hanging in my office, which was like kind of an, I love the image, but it was like a really cool icebreaker to get to know him better. Mm, yeah. And it's funny cause there's like boobs in it. And so like my kids come into my office oh, and there's right. like, <laughs> I got like a thing that says like, fuck off. Yeah. And then on the other side of the wall, I have like an easy rider screen print with a middle finger. This is daddy's zone. It, yeah. And yeah. then next to it is a Michael Schmidt photo of boobs. Yeah. And then a wild angel, an original wild angels poster. Yeah. So my Just office is in. like, yeah. With my computer, like my torture device, which is my computer. Yeah, right there. But I'm just surrounded by all this, and I'm like, I, love I need, it. I need more, more of that in here, dude. Your place is rad. Well, thanks, man. I mean, it needs more boobs from Michael. It, that's a, you know, and that's the funniest thing, and that it's just one, like even. It's it's funny because it's weird to I don't know maybe it's weird maybe it's not but I, I it's something I would think about like oh I'm like hanging an image of like a woman's boobs in my office, where I like share it, I have like a not, family and it's wife. not weird. And Carrie, my wife's just like, well, that's a cool photo. You know what I mean? Thanks, like, it might be a little kind of like, huh? Yeah. I wouldn't hang that in the living room where my parents are going to see it or whatever, <laughs> but like, yeah. So and these are my in-laws. So I have, yeah. So I have a Michael, I have one of Michael's prints in my office. I had your print in my living room, that I'm big honored. one. It's like this, like this yeah. big. Yeah. Hanging in my living room. And I had to try and find another photo to match to it. And it was just ultimately like, Nothing was as good as your print there. No. Oh, what'd you and use? I used like a a silhouetted kind of like surfing shot because yours is a silhouette yeah. of, is it Ethan? Is that? Yeah. Ethan's at like at the, the end of the road at Bonneville. Yeah. yeah. And so I had like this surfing kind of like silhouette, but it just, it was a digital photo. It was black and white. Like it just couldn't match the quality and like the reflectiveness of what you had shot. And yeah. so it was all every that time paper is really it, nice too. I was printing on back then. Cause I had a big Epson in my office then I could print any scale. It was awesome. I, would, I mean, but I would look every time I would look at, at it over the couch. You know that like, road too. Cause you've raced. Oh, there. I love it. Yeah, um, I've never raced there. Oh, you I, haven't been on some. I've been there. A bunch. I tried racing there twice and they got rained out both years. Oh, you were part of that two years. Uh-huh. That was tragic. It was the worst. That let me tell you about that. That that misdirected my life. Because uh-huh. the year before I was out there and me and my buddy shot a pilot and pretty much sold a show about land speed racing. Uh-huh. And it was in the bag. The one thing in the contract was you know, unless an act of God, you know, the, like the, what the things that they do to give right. themselves like, you know, to get out of it. Yeah. They could legally claim whether two years in a row is an act of God to, we didn't get to make the show. Like, of I mean, course. that would have been six months of work for me. Right. In, in easy. Uh, so I lost out on that. Yeah. And, and those two years, they were going to possibly move the event 
out of country even yeah. they were thinking of well and that's yeah and i think that eventually led them to spending more time in bolivia yeah yeah and they did the one in australia like lake gardner gardnier gardnier i'm so glad it didn't rain well <laughs> three years later we yeah so i brought the 45 out there and it we ended up doing wet. like we ended up pulling a full we were sitting in the parking lot at the nugget or whatever that hotel is like right there where they have like an all you can eat fish buffet in the middle of the desert <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> and i remember i brought like a moped pit bike and it was just pouring rain and me and sammy and justin were just hanging out in the hotel room just we don't know what to do we're waiting we're refreshing facebook yeah to like see what would happen and it just started torrential downpour. I got the moped and I just started buzzing around and jumping the curbs at the, at the casino. Just being like, yeah, all hell's got like, did you get, I'm going crazy. Did you get food sick? Get put no. poisoning at the casino? No, but we quite literally, as soon as it stopped raining, we loaded up and left. Yeah. And we started driving home and then pulled a full Burt Monroe and unloaded the bike on a highway in Nevada. Opened it up. And just opened it up. Cause I'd never run it at full speed yet. Yeah. Yeah. So we were still <laughs> breaking in the motor. Yeah. But I was, it had like a slight downhill and I know I had that thing around like 90 because yeah. I was pull, I was catching up to my van and we got some really cool photos of that. And then this Nevada state trooper pulled us over <laughs> and like in full, like a full leather, like that single piece leather race suit Yeah, yeah on this untitled bike that I'm like laying down on. Yeah. And they, I was like, Oh my God, like pulled over the van, like tried loading it up. And the cop was like right behind us. Whoop, whoop. And he was just like, so uh, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, oh, you know. Uh, I'm imagining him with like a 10 gallon cowboy hat oh, on. Oh, there's a there. photo of it. Okay. Uh, Sammy got a photo of it. I'll send it to you. It's hilarious. I'm wearing, and I'm actually wearing like an AMF Harley Davidson like mesh jersey yeah. under my suit. Yeah. And suits down. And it's just like. Perfect. Perfect. So what Except he said. me looking embarrassed. And he was like. So what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, um, so the Bonneville uh, Speed Week got rained out and we wanted to, you know, we built this motorcycle and we can't race it. So we just thought we would just see how it ran before we got home. And it was pretty, seemed like a pretty quiet highway. And he was just like, okay, well, what is this thing? I'm like, oh, it's a 1955 Harley Davidson, 45 inch flathead. It, like you know a bike you would have seen like in a world war ii photograph or something and he okay <laughs> is it street legal i was like there's not a light on this thing it's got no lights yeah. no plate i'm laying down on it when he passed me you're it's, like yeah uh, totally and i was like no <laughs> what am i gonna do lie to him you yeah, know yeah. I mean, like no it's not but we're and he's like but he kind of looks at us again, like probably realizing how much paperwork this is going to be. Right. He's like, so you guys are done now, right? And we're like, yeah, it started running hot. I think there's something wrong with the breather. Cause <laughs> I was actually getting like an oil spray out of my, out of my oil tank. And I was like, yeah, you know, I just, we just wanted to just test it for a few minutes just before we went home with our tails between our legs. And he's like, all right, we'll have a safe trip home. And he just left. Love and Nevada. I was like, 
oh my god thank god it's just one of those things like was that you can on impound hi- it and take it to like was that on the 95 what highway were you on <gasps> i can't remember it's the one that goes through ely yeah i think that's the 95 so yeah it's between wendover and ely heading back down towards oh between wendover and ely no I'm not sure what, I can't remember that one, but I know the stretch there. When you're going up the 15 out of Vegas, instead of going up towards like St. George, you kind of hang left early Yeah, and you head out towards Ely that way. Like that's kind of, yeah, maybe it's cool, man. There is a split. There's a weird split there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it up there though. It's just, there's nothing. That weird clown motel. I think it's might be in like Tonopah. Um, there's this like bikers well welcome like out front and there's like a weird clown out it's, it's so weird yeah like yeah, neons that, and that area is so awesome that's another movie the mustang the mustang I think it's the mustang or mustang but it's about uh prison inmates oh i've and, seen that that was the, brilliant and, yeah and, and it's and that's in ely oh, based in ely. oh okay the yeah. penitentiary there mm-hmm and doing like horse training and yeah stuff. rehabilitation inmates with uh horses exactly yeah that was super a beautiful cool. film yeah. yeah speaking of of the rider and, and horse films yeah it's like horse a cowboy oh, my list is growing it's, it's like, so many good no man land nomad land um yeah that's it's kind of a new it's an exciting time to work in film because finally the industry is accepting a different pace of picture you can thank streaming for that because these aren't movies you typically go see in the theater you know and and there's now a venue for them so well yeah as there's fewer theaters and especially they still have to make the same amount of money you know like the the industry is obviously going to rely on its blockbusters and that's what gets the majority of butts in seats and tickets sold and like i get that like that's a business model capitalism like Yeah. yeah It's but a formula. It's a formula, yeah. So, but the fact that, you know, streaming, and like the big streamers are no different than a big studio, really. You know, they still push people around. They still do all the, you know, bad shit. But yeah. what they've done is they've made it possible for more diverse filmmaking to still exist. Yeah. And for diverse audiences to enjoy film, you know. And I mean, like anybody, and quote, anybody can like, afford a bigger tv now it's not like we're the difference between like our 13 inch television yeah that we had when we were kids like no you want to go you want to go see the movie on that giant screen well like tvs are so much better now and, and really cheap like you can actually enjoy you know like a, a nice big image and really kind of catch the nuance and the feeling and the colors are so genuine and like you know you can really have a actually have a home theater yeah and i mean or something just something resembling that experience where you can actually all sit together and see it do you remember the last film you saw in the theaters it's probably a kids movie oh right war with grandpa which is terrible okay Uh, i won't go see that no man the last i can't remember the last one i saw in the theaters I don't, I honestly don't remember. Yeah. I used to go, Carrie would go with me, but I also got in the habit of going to see movies by myself. I love seeing films by myself. Yeah. I started that when I lived in Boston. Oh. So I was like, oh, well I was working in central square and I loved going to Harvard square and they had a theater. So I would just like jump one, like while my partner was like getting drunk in the bar watching football. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to go 
<laughs> watch a movie yeah go get geppetto's pizza it's so good um i can't remember i don't like trying to think back on what it i cannot remember you know what i'm really looking forward to though and this is like i'm like a sucker for like a good action movie like i love movies that are like these tentpole movies like i know it, they're kind of a disaster and they kind of crush everything, but I'm really excited for the new James Bond movie. Oh my, I love the Bond films. Right? They're just like, no, like that's what movies were, like movies were made for. Like these, these crazy stories. That and is these, like, a great example. Stuff. Yeah. That, that's like the pillar of big American blockbuster yeah. or British, whatever blockbuster. Right. But <laughs> Well, and they talk about like, oh, there's superhero movies and like the Marvel stuff and how it's destroying things. And you're like, no, like we still had blockbusters. Like there's Fast and the Furious 27 coming oh my out. God. Like, you Talk know. about franchise fatigue. Yeah, so. I know. And it's so funny because like I'm such like a car person. Like I love that stuff, but I'm like, okay, guys. It just, you know? it just makes me want to go watch Two, Bla Two Lane Blacktop. Ooh, over oh my over. God. I have, I think I sent that DVD back to my buddy, but when I broke my leg a few years ago, a DP, a cinematographer that I worked with, sent me a whole bunch of stuff and Tulane Blacktop was in there. Mm. And I'm like, man, I just want to, I need to go back and watch all those again. Yeah. Cause there's so, not that they're better, but they just tell a story differently. Like how we were talking about easy rider. It's like, it's not the way it appealed to an audience back then versus how it appeals now. And what does that say about us? What does that say about the process? Like it gets you thinking about all these things and you get to watch car chases. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. great. All these cool things. Like Yeah. I'm telling you, this this film we're working on. I was like, we're gonna make that that sister driving sequence just kind of, I'm so excited. Kind of look that. legit and like sketchy in this, you know, in our story. And I think it's just gonna be like, no, we didn't we couldn't really do like a the story doesn't call for like a real car chase, but like we can kind of make this look pretty legit and just there's a sense of urgency here yeah and it's gonna look sketchy because it is sketchy <laughs> right because <laughs> no one should do that to a 1996 corolla yeah. whatever it ends up being we still but... have to find a couple picture cars actually yeah we need to find some picture cars and and get the sheriff on board actually he's sort of on he sounds like he's your buddy already he's on board i just want him like, I don't want to, this is like we were talking about with you. Like, I don't want a character to play the sheriff. Yeah. I just want the sheriff to play the sheriff because like, there's no, I couldn't get anybody to pretend to be him. Yeah. That would be even as close to him. Like he's got a hell, he's got a helicopter figurine on his desk. That's made out of bullet shells. You got to get this guy. And I'm just like, oh my God. Does I, he know, he knows you by name now, right? Your first You know, name. I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. I need to call him and just kind of refresh her. Yeah. You'll, but, you'll convince him. Well, it's funny though. It. Cause I call him like Sheriff Gary. Yeah. And like, I go to dinner with like people in town, like while we're doing prep and call him like, Oh, like, Oh, I was meeting with Sheriff Gary. And they just stop and they're like, his name's just Gary. I'm like, no, I didn't go to high school with him. I have to call him Sheriff or Sheriff Gary. I can't just. I can't just pretend I'm he's, buddy buddy with him. Like he's you gonna guys start. Are... He's gonna call you Director Scott all the time, and he's <laughs> gonna call you're gonna call him Sheriff Gary. <laughs> or if I could just call him Sheriff, yeah, like as a sign of respect or whatever, and he can call me like 
director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, oh my God, like that was the first time I, and this is, you know, speaking of like these funny side conversations about like privilege and being a nerd and like following the rules and all that stuff. Like I'd never been, I don't think I'd ever really been in a police station. <laughs> and the first time I go is so I can ask the sheriff permission to like make a film in his jurisdiction and see if he'll be a part of it. And if Were I can, you afraid like, he was a... going to put you in jail? No, he's seen nice. That, well, he likes, well, kind of like hear everything going on. But, um, yeah, he was like, oh, just text me. I'm like, I can't, like, I can't, I can't, I, I don't know if I can bring myself to like text you, dude. That's you hilarious. Just, I'm so, man, the, the people of the middle are the best. They are. I'm impressed. So he knows texting though. You know, there's a lot of people in the, like I got, I'm selling these boots right now. And a lot of the old timers, like my dad's age, you know, they're, they love them because they're like the real thing right and they're trying to get a pair but they can't use the computer at oh, all sure. or or texting so i'm like all right we're just do this the old-fashioned way just do the measurements mail it to me right in the mail self-addressed tams exactly i'll just <laughs> do this the old-fashioned way yeah it's it's trippy but yeah he's the sheriff was a trip and he I think when I first contacted him, he called me back and I said, oh, is this a good time? He's like, oh, I have to, maybe I shouldn't say these things, but whatever. No, <laughs> no, good. He was just like, oh, um, no, no, it's like, maybe he called me or we missed each other. I was like, oh, it's now a good time. He's like, oh, I have to go arrest somebody, but I got a few minutes. What's up? <laughs> and this is the first time I talked to him on yeah. the phone. And I was like, oh, no, it's it's fine, Sheriff Gary. Like, yeah. if you want to go... <laughs> Would you like Speak. to arrest your... Yeah, you can go do your yeah. job and then talk to the, the art nerd from California another yeah. time. Like, don't like get in the way. And he's like, nah, it's a, he's a regular. It's fine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, got it. So it was like, I was like a nice distraction from uh, like him having to go pick up a, someone being someone being shitty down the road. I think that's really funny that... And I've, I've, I would hope that like you're bringing a new perspective of a California and to them too though you know oh, what i mean man. like they'd be like man these california guys are all right they're, yeah man they can eat chicken polite. fried steak like the best, the yeah. best of us. yeah yeah he um oh, there was another guy one of the one of the property owners for one of the locations and it was like a friend of a friend knew the guy who owned this building that i just had a picture of from when i was scouting yeah like oh yeah okay so that's jim's place so they called jim for me and you know, we have a young man here who's trying to make a film in town and he saw your building and I, apparently you know, what I was told, he's like, where is he from? And like, he's from California. To, is he coming to raise my taxes? Uh, and I was like, damn, he's like, you got me. You got me. What a zinger. I wish I was, I wish we were face to face for that because that would have probably been really good. Like at the bar. Like sure. over a beer just to get like, get out of here. Stop raising my taxes. You can feel you breathing taxes into my town. You That's know? so funny. So no, like just the, just the best people and like super, super kind, super welcoming. Wouldn't it be crazy if, if we somehow brought, brought the industry there? Oh my God. Well, like this is, this is part of that conversation. Like, you know, kind of like looping in Trevor and like talking about these things yeah. and like storytellers and because you know, the foundation maybe, is there. 
Oh yeah. yeah. And there's just so much, there's so much richness in the culture. And while I think it's, it's really important um, right now, the, the moment we're in getting so many more like diverse voices and diverse filmmakers, like telling stories, you know, that haven't really been told from different, different perspectives, whether it's culture, race, economic status, you know, marginalized communities, there's so much going on that will enrich all of us and can teach all of us something. And in a similar fashion, I think there's something that's not being told about this country and about areas in this country that, that need to be told. And they're, they're left on the sidelines and, it's, you know, the, the idea, and we heard this all in like the, the mid two thousands talking about like how, you know, big box stores are ruining the mom and pa shops. Like that's a, we all know, we've all heard that for over, you know, for decades now yeah. and what that looks like in, in these towns, that's, that's their truth. That's the reality. And it's interesting to see how a small town and we're talking, you know, a thousand people. And that's a big town in some of these spots. Yeah. And like how these people rally together to keep one another afloat and how they cling to traditions that may seem antiquated to people not from there, but are those traditions are the glue and those things are going to the VFW for a beer eating the special at the bowling alley diner, which yeah. is the, one of the only restaurants still there. Yeah. It's going to church. Like I'm not a religious person, but you're I, participating, I, but I see how people use this space and this community setting to gather and to connect. And once these small towns lose their connection to one another, the town is gone. Yeah. And there's plenty of examples of that dotted all around those roads. Yeah. It's very sad. It's sad and it's tragic and it's not, it's not fair. No, it's not fair to them. It's not fair to us. Like we're, we don't treat each other always with the respect and the understanding. And a lot of times that's because we don't, we don't, or we can't, or we won't take the time to, look and to feel and to understand other people's perspectives. Yeah. And just going out there trying to scout and trying to learn, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of it, you know, and some of it's just like, it's like having a, like having a beer at the bar with people and just letting them talk and like, just letting them hear stories and asking questions. And maybe it's an uncomfortable question or yeah. whatever, just giving all of us an opportunity to learn from one another and, you know, as like storytellers, I want to be able to tell a good story. I want to be able to visually tell a good story, but I don't want to tell a good story that misrepresents people either. Yeah. So learning, learning from them helps me and you and the rest of us who want to be, you know, filmmakers and storytellers, whether it's written or visual or whatever, like that's trying to tell something from like a sincere, genuine and like a real way. Like it also restores faith in each other. Yeah. To see that somebody's trying to get it right. Because I, 
coming from the middle. I know that a lot of them, they feel misrepresented in the small amount of representation that they get. Right. And and I feel like they're totally, that's a valid uh, kind of argument about the way we think of them. Well, and that's, yeah. you're going there to the middle and you're participating, which is what builds community. And in return, I think you're going to leave this project being a part of that community. And you'll see how loyal they are when you can go back there or call them anytime. They're just so willing to help. Filmmaking is such a collaboration, man. Even if your crew is six deep, you're family by the time you leave that place. Yeah. And it, it really, it builds a hell of a community. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. People ask, you know, you go out there and like, like you wait, you're from California, you flew to Denver, you drove five hours out here to take pictures of like buildings and stuff. <laughs> you want to make a film about what, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Yeah. And I'm like, I love your town. I'm like, why? Yeah. Because I spent a weekend here five years ago and it's left such an impression on me. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's really special to hear. Yeah. I'm like, and it's really special to me. Like I've just, I told multiple people ever since that day, I've been trying to find an excuse to come back here. Yeah. And so instead of waiting for, I was like, oh, let's just make one. Let's just, let's just make a reason for us to go hang out and make something fun and tell a story and meet these people and reaffirm the fact that, yeah, man, the middle's charming. And the idea of like us moving out there, like as a family, people are coastal friends. They're like, what? Yeah. Why? I don't get it. And I'm like, man, maybe you should just come visit because I think these people, whether you believe the same things politically, religiously, whatever, whether you like fast and the furious 27 or not, like, <laughs> we can all just be friends and we can all just respect one another and take care of one another. Cause like ultimately without that, whatever, you know, we got to get back to that. Yeah, man. We yeah, got, yeah. and a, and a lot of that is, is the, uh, it's kind of a return to the, just to revisit the middle a little bit. Cause we're, it's such an echo chamber out here and it's easy to gang up on, a, you know, an idea that isn't, in front of you to defend itself and sure and there's a lot of it just gets very easy to disrespect something in that way so i'm excited to go back and i'm excited you want to do it yeah man what a special thing oh let's special... make some art man but yeah it's... <laughs> let's go to the middle and make some art and i don't i don't it, i don't like actively pursue acting but I love filmmaking. And when somebody asks me to be in front of the camera, and it happens from time to time, I just look at it as another job in telling the story. And this one I'm actually really excited about because of the work that you've put into it. And plus, I, I want the middle to feel like there is a real connection to there. So using people from there, I think, is important. And we, we're learning in cinema, too, that you can tell the story this way. You don't, you don't need to lie. <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't need to fake everything. You don't need to fake everything. There are real moments that can happen and they can, and sometimes that's the only way 
you can you can execute your vision is just to let them happen and not direct well and that's like a funny thing you know and that's the logistics of getting to the middle and like making a film there are complicated and ultimately people have said why don't you just go shoot this in like bakersfield yeah and i'm like i totally understand why from a logistics point of view that makes sense but no absolutely fucking not yeah like why be able to shoot it in four days and it would be almost free yeah because it's just not the story i want that's not the way i want to do it like i don't want to shoot a story about the middle in bakersfield i don't even like bakersfield talk about misrepresenting (laughs) right and it's like that's that's that is the problem you know that's where things get messed up like you know it's it'd be different we're doing like a period piece like i think about like the sandlot like they were shooting they shot the sandlot in utah great film great film like i'm of the sandlot generation i'm i was a little too young to really get the goonies at first like it kind of scared the shit out of me like these mobsters chasing yeah, that was scary like a tunnel yeah i was like man i'm, I'm more i like want to play pickle and like <laughs> like play Baseball, with a record I get set like yeah. i get it like i can do this yeah um but like you know they shot the sandlot in utah to mimic the valley in the 60s 70s anyway yeah but they, you know what I mean? Like they did that for a specific reason. So it visually matched. Well, I don't care what anyone says. Like you can't shoot California to look like the middle in 360 degrees in August. It's just not going to look the same. No, it's not. You can't fake it. I don't care what anybody says. You watch the sun go down. There's mountains. No. <laughs> yeah. Is that the ocean? Is that what lake do is I, that large is in Kansas? Ocean air? Yeah. No, actually, yeah. you smell the Central Valley, and it's awful. <laughs> that is a really good point. <laughs> that is a really good point, and I can always tell when they're like, "This is Amelia Earhart in her hometown in Kansas," and I'm like, uh, "No, that's probably more like Southern California. Right. There's not a lot of cacti. Right. In the Why is there an prairies? orange orchard right the, there? Yeah. Why does this look like Ohio? Tall, gra- tall grass prairie. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't understand." That's uh, so true. Yeah, and people don't. And people don't. The I hate to use like the masses, like the majority of people. Then go don't notice, don't yeah. care. But like, if we go and show this film, when it's all said and done, we have like a little party in town. We get the bowling alley. To bring us some chicken fried steak. Mm. Right now, you're talking. Have a little party at the theater. Yeah. Show it. And then people ask me, like, why, what do you want to get out of this from us? And I was like, I want you guys to be able to watch it and feel like I love your town yeah. as much as you do. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's really sweet. I'm like, cool. I'm glad that's all I want to do. Yeah. I want to tell this story because this place made me feel romantic. And like, it felt like a romantic place to me. It felt like a loving, respectful place. And... I want to turn that back around on you and like, Hey, I'm just writing a love letter to your, your town and your traditions from, from an outsider's, you know, like I'm an outsider from that part of the world, from that part of the country. And I got like a little glimmer and I just want to like send you guys a love letter back to like, thanks for being kind to me and thanks for inspiring us. You know, like that's a cool, it's, 
it's funny the last time one of the last times I went home I rode my panhead from here back and on the last leg of the trip I was pulling in um, a little bit later into town and I was actually planning on going through it up to Kansas City but you know I went in this is my hometown where I grew up in a small place and um, the only real thing they have there is this this uh, automotive restoration college and it was part of the reason why there were so many classic cars in my hometown when I was growing up and, and bikes and I pull into town and I'm riding a uh, riding a 49 Panhead okay I've just crossed the country to get there and I literally crossed the train tracks into town because that's how all the towns are yeah and the road's blocked off I'm like what the fuck and I'm like squeeze through there I get a little further down the road and I'm like, I'm pulling down to Main Street. It's full of priceless classic cars. Just a normal night on Main Street where they block the block the roads off. And there's like wooden spoke, fucking Jeez. priceless. There's there's GT40. I think I parked between a 66 GTO and a GT40. <laughs> yeah, I parked my bike in there. Yeah, and, I'll fit right here. And I'm thinking, you know, when I pull into some places, like, people really, like, take a look at my bike and everything. No one even batted a fucking eye. They're like, look at this hunk of shit. Right. There's this, Why is this thing leaking next to a and, GT40? And it's so special. It's like the, the, it's such a, it was such a special homecoming. And no... I had no family there. I had no friends left there. I had no reunion there. But to be greeted by that, that gathering of passion, I was just like, you know what? I have missed this. This is this is so special. And I just rode a long way and didn't see anything like this the whole way here. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, man, that's... Just those little traditions, man. That's like the county fair circuit and all that stuff. Yeah, like, yeah the state fair, how, how special that time of year was. I mean, I can fucking smell the funnel Dude, cake when you start neighbor, talking about it. My neighbor, two doors down, I was like, I gave him like, oh, what did I give him? I just gave him like a couple like tools that we kind of shared and used things. And I was like, here, man, like, he's like, well, what are you getting rid of your, this for? Yeah. Like, oh, we're moving. Huh. Where? the middle he's like oh my gosh a state fair hutchinson you know oh he told you about that he totally knew it oh that's awesome he's like oh man the state fair in hutchinson's great and i was like wait you've been there he's like no my best friend moved out there he's like and he always tells me all about it dude the most one of the best swap meets is happening this weekend there in hutchinson it's a gym i've i've that entire bike in my garage right now is all swap meat parts from Hutchinson. That's not the gas city thing, is it? No, no, no. It it's fantastic. It's so, <laughs> it's so oh, it's fantastic. Or wait, it is the gas city. Maybe maybe they changed the name or something, or I don't know. Got a different. I saw. I just saw one of uh, my buddy Jason in St. Louis, who's the mechanic who works on my K model stuff. Yeah, he's been helping me for years. Yeah. He just got like a 52K running. He said it was for Gas City. So I. Maybe. Maybe, maybe they're calling it Gas City or there's an event attached to it. Or maybe there's it. other things going on. Yeah. That's I always so get, funny. I have, I have, 
I minimally pay attention to those things because I, I hate lusting after stuff I that know. I absolutely cannot even get close to. It almost hurts me to remember that it's this weekend. So uh, I'm like, I'm remembering that I'm not there. Right. I found the only set of of 36 Model A wheels, like one year only, that went on that bike. It was almost hard to use them because I knew what they were, but I, right. I got them there for a song. It was, it was, it's such a great place. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, man, we are we are hour thirty one in, and I know that you've got to get back to I got a three uh, hour drive. You got a three hour drive. You what got time some is babies it? to get back to? It's oh, a good well. question. I don't know. It's uh, midnight. Yeah, it's it's four o'clock in the morning. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, I'll get time. Ju- I'll get home just in time for little league Sun, sunrise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, got a sun up game. <laughs> I'm actually doing another podcast at eight o'clock in the morning, so I've got four four more oh, yeah, hours with yeah. Justin. Yeah, yeah. Tell him about the. He's gonna be. He's gonna play the character uh, Justin. Justin in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that worked out nicely. Yeah. What? A, yeah, man. Well, see, we did a conference call. We worked today. We yeah. worked so hard. We, we did. Scouted. We worked all day. We did a conference call. We filmed right now. a cast. Oh yeah, we did some promo. You got to come out here more often, man. We have some productive days. I know. I need to buy that house next door for a million dollars (laughs) maybe i can maybe he'll let me rent a parking space for my camper for you know 350k no fuck that you can park your camper in my yard (laughs) i won't charge you anything oh man well thanks for having me on uh having me on an episode this is special of course we'll get we'll get more in as we get further down the line sounds good man all right all right we'll see you you bet what I tell you, pretty good ride, huh? I'm gonna miss having Scott in California. He, uh, he is gone now. He's moved on in the middle. And that's bittersweet because I'm very, I'm very happy for him. And I know that he's gonna be happy too. You're in a good place, Scott. You made the right decision. Winter's gonna be a little rough. I'll just, I'll warn you. But maybe not, you know? I mean, it's had it's had its mild winters out there. But not not like Ventura. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> so, guys, just to uh, drive it home here, if you want to support the show, if you like what you hear and like what you see with the videos, um, go to my store. Check out the products I'm I'm bringing to you on the store. And just a heads up on the boots, a lot of you have been asking, uh, there is a build time to these boots. These are completely handmade, specific to order, every single pair at Wesco in their factory by master craftsmen, and there's only so many in the pe- people in the world that can do what they do. And so that takes a while. But like anything custom, custom bike, custom car, it's special. And they're well, they are well made, and they will last you possibly the rest of your life. So they're worth the wait, is what I'm trying to say. Please, uh, please be patient with those guys over there. They're working really hard. They've got stacks and stacks, rows and rows. Uh, Chris Warren sent me some photos today. But you will get them, and we will uh, we'll be very excited to deliver. So, oh, you know what else? This is big news. This is this has been primarily what I have been working on for the past couple months, honestly. I've incorporated this project. We are now a corporation. 
<laughs> and I don't know if I did the right thing because it is a royal pain in the ass. And it's expensive. And now I get a lot of mail because I did that. And it's never good mail. It's never good news that comes in the mail when you're a corporation, come to find out. But I went ahead and did that because I'm trying to get ahead of the curve. If this thing does go where I want it to go, I need to be able to hire people and work faster and hopefully bring it to a platform for distribution. So anybody out there listening who is a producer type that's not a shark, uh, you're familiar with this project, reach out to me, man. Um, If you got the Rolodex and you like what you see, uh, let's talk, because we're now a corporation, the Blue Toddcast. That's exciting. Um, That's the most adult thing I've done in a very long time. Um, I may regret it just just because there's a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross. But I'm hiring a CPA and I'm getting the QuickBooks all set up, corporate card, the whole nine yards. We're going we're going to the moon with this corporation. We're flying interstellar, psychedelic, straight to the studios. Here we come, broadcasting. Now I'm getting carried away now. Speaking of getting carried away, you guys liked story time with Todd. I got a lot of good responses from that. I was surprised. I'm glad that uh, I did read that article, though. Uh, it was really it struck me um, the timing of that. I, I, since I I wrote it well before the pandemic, or even knowing that there would be something like that, and uh, it just felt very pandemic <laughs> So anyway, I thought maybe you'd want to hear another one. I, I kind of dug through the archives. I found a fun story that I wrote for Iron and Air years ago about a trip I did with Snake and a bunch of buddies out uh, into the desert past Ransburg towards the Toronto Pinnacles and it's called Road Trippin because it's about tripping on mushrooms so yeah let's shall we shall we do another story time with Todd this is Road Trippin from Iron and Air words by Todd Bluebaugh I knew the mushrooms had started working because the granite boulder next to me began to transform itself into a giant camel's head. I looked across the fire pit at my housemate. His teeth clenched, lips furled, and eyebrows raised as he looked out into the expanding darkness of the Mojave Desert. I usually don't worry about Snake, but I knew he hadn't slept in two days. His reality was being displaced as the boundaries of our physical universe surrendered to the drugs. I had an enlightening conversation with the giant camelhead before looking back at Snake. He had disappeared. Snake texted me yesterday afternoon. Meet me at the Denny's off Highway 14 at 10 a.m. His curt message seemed impulsive, considering he would be working most of the night and intended on partying through the remainder of it. In the morning, I poked my head into Snake's room, 
His bed was tidy and unused. I grabbed a book, just in case he flaked, this is L.A. after all, and I packed up my bike, somehow I had a schedule. It's amazing how easy you can hit the road when you ride out alone. When I arrived at the restaurant, I watched an enormous crowd come together, united by a common interest in bacon and eggs. Observing one of the most multicultural groups I'd ever seen under one roof, different races and religions, economic and educational backgrounds sitting shoulder to shoulder, I decided there might yet be hope for this country if Congress simply agreed to meet at Denny's. I skipped breakfast and found a small parking spot behind the restaurant where I sat under a sliver of shade reading some pages from Fool's Progress and anxiously waiting for Snake to arrive. Eventually he did, with seven friends in tow. Anna, Andre, Austin, Chatty, Sherm, and Katie and Shallon who drove the El Camino. Altogether, we set off for a trip to Randsburg, a tiny desert village far beyond the trappings of our everyday lives. I could see it on my friends' faces as they rode along that deepness of thought. It's something different to each of us, but the feeling is the same, a physical and emotional achievement that makes the muscles in your stomach and shoulders and neck flex in excitement. It sends your eyes darting in every direction, operating on impulse, executing thousands of decisions so embedded in instinct that our cognitive mind has no real control over them, much like a beating heart. On a long ride, I focus intently on words I will likely never write or reflect on friends and family I've lost and imagine myself traveling to see them again. Apparently, our platoon leader, Chatty, was in deeper than any of us and missed our turn to Randsburg by 12 miles. It's refreshing to find somewhere untouched by advertising. Such places do exist, but like Randsburg, you have to seek them out. Rumored townlets far enough from the multi-lane freeways that they still operate as they did when they first appeared. But someday, they will all be gone when the rich migrate here from the city as they do with their margin of wealth. All authenticity will be lost. We easily found the joint we were looking for, which was literally called the joint. We line the bikes up out front along the red wooden fence that partitions the drinking zone from the rest of Main Street, which is about two buildings long. The inside is a capsule of this country at its finest. One large open room with dark leather booths and chairs around formica top tables that bore witness to the days of the ashtray. The back of the joint has two well-used pool tables in the middle of the floor, flanked by a pair of standing wall pianos. I sat down with the cores and studied the bar and its patrons. A pair of stout good old boys sat next to each other on the center stools. They looked perfectly in their element, drinking beer and talking to the bartender. The far seats were occupied by two seemingly out of place characters, a man and a woman in their later years, both quiet but curious about our bikes. They had my attention and I observed the man make an unprovoked outburst about riding motorcycles. He appeared to be speaking to the ceiling but some of what he said actually made sense, especially about riding behind bikes that spit oil. The good old boys heard him and snickered to themselves. Observing the episode reminded me of high school before I learned to conceal my opinion to avoid being humiliated, and I admired the old man as he walked outside, probably to be even more alone than he already felt. 
An old woman at the very end of the bar sat reading a paperback. I too enjoy reading at bars. Somehow the atmosphere helps me focus my fragile attention. I really wanted to know what she was reading, but she concealed the cover. She read fast, and with every turn of the page, she caressed the top corner of the paper with her thumb, fanning the paper gently like a flipbook. It was almost sensual, and I could tell she was taking great pleasure from the story. The wall behind the bar was a mosaic of dollar bills layered over a large mirror. A photograph of an elderly woman sat on an antique cash register in the middle of the counter. The bartender, Neil, who said to call him Junior, told me that the woman in the photo was his great-grandma. She opened the joint in 1955, and now Junior was the caretaker. He had a warm smile, fair skin, and a good sense of humor, a fine diplomat and specialist for an institution like this one. He told me about the town of Randsburg, population 69, and its history of mining. I liked Junior. He bought me a beer and showed me a huge chunk of tungsten that was unearthed in the area. Then we went outside to kick tires, which turned into tequila shots at snake-pegged wheelies up and down Main Street. Junior told us of a good campsite 30 minutes away. We loaded up, shook hands with our new friend, and left feeling like we had found what we were looking for. We made camp beneath the highest pile of boulders we could see from the road. At the top of the pile was a granite crow's nest, and from it we could see parts of the world we did not know were there. Austin told us that the world was actually a flat petri dish, and we were an experiment, entertainment, like an ant farm, to creatures more highly evolved. And as the sun set, I thought, so be it. Even if it's true, this is a pretty good dish. The wind was relentless that night, and we built a fire in the boulders where the gusts couldn't reach us. Derek White rolled in after dark on his panhead, and we celebrated his arrival by breaking out a small bag of psychedelic mushrooms. Now, I realize indulging in this behavior will, without doubt, incriminate us in the eyes of those who have demonized the use of psychedelics, and I once disapproved too, but I'm glad I allowed myself to participate, and I would now recommend the experience to anyone as long as they feel safe and comfortable in their environment. We watched the Mojave transform as we shared the bag of caps and stems. Rocks came to life, sounds became colors, and the horizon unfolded, draping a blanket of stars all over us. I don't know how long I sat beside the fire before noticing Snake's absence, because the boundaries of time dissolve as psilocybin, the active ingredient in mushrooms, binds to the brain's receptors for serotonin. The brain then stimulates long-range connections that normally can't be accessed. I became curious and felt compelled to find Snake. I wandered into the night and finally stumbled upon him and Anna laying under their bikes, staring at the lit end of a cigarette. Snake said he had found a universe inside of it. I looked into the glowing ash and saw it too. A tiny web of patterns multiplied into the glow of burning tobacco. When Derek came to join us, I looked up at him and discovered we were a great distance from the campsite. I couldn't be sure if the distance was real or imagined until Austin manifested like some sort of mystical shaman and asked why we were so far from the camp. He wore a cape or something, 
which had speakers in it and were playing music. And he had no real distinguishing facial features until he smiled, revealing two rows of glowing white teeth. We laughed and howled at the moonless sky until a terrifying stream of light shot through the night and bounced across the barren landscape. As the light grew brighter and drew closer, we huddled together, frightened by its intrusion. We retreated deeper into the desert and ducked behind a huge rock. Derek's stomach began to growl, and the deafening sound, like a cooing pigeon being eaten by a grizzly bear, was sure to give away our position. I bit down on my finger to suppress the laughter welling up inside me when suddenly Snake sprang to his feet surrendering to the light, which was coming from Chatty's high-powered flashlight. He'd set out to find us to make sure we were okay. We burst out laughing as I explained to Chatty that we were simply evading the scariest light we had ever seen. He led us back to the fire, and one by one we slowly retired for a six-hour sleep. In the morning, as we made eggs and tortillas in the skillet, I looked once again for the camel head in the rocks next to the fire. And though I could no longer see it, I did feel satisfied just knowing it had been there. Somewhere. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time.